eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, joined today by Doug and Matei. What is up, gentlemen? Not much. Did you do anything fun with your bye week, Andrew? Uh, I wasn't all that sad, you know? It was... Pessimistic Andrew wasn't out? No. I mean, <laughs> look, it's always good to see the, uh, the fighting Blue Devils get a win over Miami. Tough loss for Kansas, of course, but... It is Did Nebraska it is. win? Nebraska. I think Nebraska was off too. Either that or I just wasn't paying attention. But <laughs> regardless, you know, I needed a little week-long cleanse from overstimulation from college football. Doug, you remember at the end of our conversation last time we did this, we were talking about how I got in an argument with my buddy about Jimbo Fisher and underperforming expectations. Oh, well, boy. Early results on that one are, are in. <laughs> and Surprisingly, giving a hundred million dollars guaranteed doesn't appear like the best idea. Also, giving eighteen-year-old kids thousands of dollars and telling them that they're amazing doesn't always pan out. It pans out sometimes, but you it can it. pan out. Do what money can't buy: heart, <laughs> heart, grit, grit. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Buzzwords. Yes. <laughs> Nonetheless, though, uh, good weekend overall, but short week here. So bringing this podcast to you on a Wednesday for an NC State game that's going to take place under the lights in Raleigh on Thursday night. I guess we should get into Miami real quick. Didn't really have the chance to uh, recap that one. A extremely uninspiring offensive performance, at least for the better part of basically for three out of four quarters in total by the time Virginia Tech really got anything going offensively, despite the fact that it, you know, it, it looks probably close to the offense that they would run ideally if they could string it together for four quarters. But by that point, the Hokies were out of it, at least emotionally. The crowd was literally out of the stadium at that point. And close but no cigar for Virginia Tech. You know, what are, what are our main takeaways here, gentlemen? I don't know that you can have many main takeaways from that. Um, shutout streak was certainly on the line there for a little bit. Uh, offense was not good. That that fumble by Daquan Wright really, right at the beginning, really um, felt like if, I mean, an early turnover like that is always going to feel like it flips the game. Um, but they were, they had the ball deep into Miami territory and then the defense didn't do a great job on the, on the sudden change there. After that, it was pretty ugly. Um, was feeling a little bit like Pittsburgh from last year um, in, ter- in terms of Tech's offensive production, offensive ability there, um, and then and then they they like the fourth quarter wasn't even pretty. They made it, they got it to one possession, but um, it was a struggle to even get to that point. So I think that was just a continuation of. Um, of, of what we've seen all year from Virginia Tech is that it's not going to be easy. 
nothing's going to be easy, particularly on offense. And, um, you know, it, it, they're just not, they're just not quite good enough to make up for not playing a, a perfect game or, a, or, a, you know, extremely crisp game. And I think that's the main thing we saw. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking at this game, I'm, I'm surprised that the score wasn't more heavily in favor of Miami. I mean, after you come away with the fumble on the first drive and, you know, Miami's wide receivers are making one-handed catches, you know, Tyler Van Dyke looks in vintage form last season form. Um, I know it's, it's not, you know, a moral victory giving up 351 passing yards, but given the fact that, you know, you have Monsoor Delane in uh, extended time, um, you know, now claiming that cornerback one position, I thought a lot of the uh, defensive backs did well, maybe outside Breon Murray. Um, and I thought, you know, it was good to see Taiwan Garbett back. It looked like he was healthy. I think there were some positives there, uh, especially, you know, stopping, you know, they weren't really trying to run the ball, but they couldn't really run the ball either. Um, so defensively, there's some good takeaways, obviously those big plays and giving up some conversions, uh, on long situations was pretty tough to watch, but, um, I mean, we're broken record at this point talking about the offense. It's just, you know, wherever you look, it's just not consistent enough and there's not really the talent to get it done. Um, and so I know we'll get into it later, but. Uh, there were some interesting things that Brent Pry was talking about in the press conference leading up to NC State, and maybe we see some more changes following a bye week. But definitely from what we saw from Miami and really the rest of this season, um, you know, it's just it's too stale on offense, and um, they're just not good enough at doing the basic things to make things really work. Yeah, stale, or as Brent Pry called it himself, vanilla. I mean, he later did go on to admit what he meant by that was their vision of two tight end, power eye, Big Ten style football was ultimately just that vision because they haven't been able to put it together with the talent they have on the field. And I think to some degree, you know, it's obviously comes as a little bit of a surprise to Virginia Tech fans given the fact that the ACC is the ACC, Virginia Tech going into the year seemed to have a middle of the road at minimum offensive line kind of middle of the pack in the conference and a couple of running backs who you know between king and malachi thomas i guess if you expected more out of holston to turn into a different player probably on you but nonetheless i could see the vision but ultimately it hasn't panned out to be much and and what it ends up being now is an offense, you know, with literally no identity at all whatsoever. I mean, we are seven games into this thing and it it is still hard to, from a game to game basis, really pinpoint and establish what Virginia tech would like to do, you know, as their offensive identity. It's a problem that we had under Fuente uh, and even going back to the Wofford game, was this is going to be an interesting game to watch, if only for the reason that you'll see what Virginia Tech's offense looks like when it's firing at all cylinders. And it kind of still looked like a hodgepodge of confusion at that point. So, <laughs> you know, Pride talked today about, or today or yesterday, whatever that was about like this need to get Malachi Thomas and Kishon King on the field at the same time. If that wasn't obvious, whenever Malachi Thomas got healthy, like I don't, that that's a problem. That's a serious problem that you can't like, that you don't think that that is mission number one with Kishon King in particular is the guy that you've talked all season long about being the most explosive player, the most dynamic player on the offense. He's got 17 snaps against Pitt and then seven against Miami. Um, you know, I think he got banged up a little bit, I believe, against Miami. It was, um, I heard on the post game radio, but like, you just you get one playmaker back to add to a sparse group of playmakers. Like, I, I think that should have been, um, immediately the the primary goal of Virginia Tech 
Um, I, 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 I talk about it all the time, who are your, who are your five best skill position players, get them on the field as much as possible, figure it out. The five best skill position players on this team are Kashawn King, Malachi Thomas, Daquan Wright, Kayla Smith, and then some combination of Lofton, Gallo, Jaden Blue, insert the fifth skill position player somewhere. Um, I, don't, I don't know why it took until the bye week to like, for this to be the idea, for this to be the, the goal or the concept of the offensive coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It goes without saying, but, you know, Pry begs the question of, you know, we need to figure out how to get the players who are most likely to put us in a position to succeed on the field. Like, you know, figure out what that combination of players is. And, you know, at certain positions like wide receiver, I understand that that very well might be an open question. But I think that anyone who can look at the resume of any of these guys could say between Kishon King did, you know, as a younger player and what he did early on this season and just Malachi Thomas earlier last year, multiple hundred yard games, obviously coming off an injury, slow start, you're seeing that bit of potential. That might be your 1A and 1B in terms of the most talented players on the offense, bar none. And if you can't find a way to create some balance there, I think you're doing a disservice to this offense that uh, needs all the help it can get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, and I don't like, uh, there's enough experience on this coaching staff to know that is, is the concern. And what were we, were they trying to fit the square peg into the round hole too long? Like, um, I don't think that, I don't think that concept was, like ignored for Tyler Bowen in particular at Penn State at Jacksonville um at any of his previous stops like uh it's it's a little concerning to me that that um that that takes some direction from the head coach about you know who the most dangerous players and who's who from his perspective what Brett Pry is saying is that as a defensive coordinator these are the guys these are the things that would would give me trouble um, and, and that, those are things that we should be doing. Um, I, you know, I, maybe it's first year coaching staff working together. Um, Bowen comes from elsewhere. Uh, Brad Glenn comes from elsewhere. Joe Rudolph comes from elsewhere. Fontel Mines comes from elsewhere. Um, that mesh maybe hasn't quite happened as Virginia Tech needs it to happen. And that's fair, but also like, other coaching staffs do the same thing and, and figure it out and and I think do a better job. So Matei, I mean, at this point, as we talk about Tyler Bowen, the fans are, are starting to come after him. The honeymoon period is over. I'm not in the business of coming after anyone at this point. So I'll let you give us your honest evaluation. Tyler Bowen's grade to this point. You know, normal A through F scale. You can Ooh. use pluses and minuses if you want. This is a, this is a tough question. I would I'd probably go with a D. I mean, judging based on where Virginia Tech's offense stands in most statistical categories, I mean, they're in the you know the bottom fourth of the FBS, and it's you know there's no real advantage either way. Like I know you were talking about the identity of Virginia Tech. And I find it kind of comical every time you look at the depth chart that comes out every week, it always says offensive scheme, multiple, like multiple what it's been the same thing over and over. There is no real identity. I mean, in the beginning of the season, it was an up-tempo, you know, not even a two tight end set type of offense, putting out three wide receivers at all times. Now you're talking about potentially putting two tailbacks in at the same time. Um, you know, which is it? Do you want to go Big Ten? Are we going spread? It, there hasn't been like a clear answer. Uh, and I'm kind of with Doug here. Like at this point, you've seen it fail seven games for seven games. Like even against Wofford, there wasn't much of a running game to be proud of. It was mainly Grant Wells was having a good afternoon against a really bad defense. 
So at this point, I would give him a D and I'm interested to see we're talking about, you know, first time head coach with, you know, first time working with a lot of these guys on his staff. How radical are the changes going to be in the bye week? Are we going to see a brand new product on offense? If you're talking specifically about putting in two tailbacks, I don't think that drastically changes your scheme. Like you're still going to be having the same, you know, run blocking assignments. The wide receivers are still probably doing the same thing. Uh, You just have an extra guy out there that's kind of a decoy, I guess, or, you know, going for, for a screenplay or something. So overall it's been, you know, you would hope, that this season is about building towards something, but I think looking at game one and then looking at, you know, game seven against Miami, like there is no clear way I can say that this offense has developed. If anything, the offensive line has got worse, has gotten worse. The wide receivers are what they are. And although Malachi Thomas provides a spark in some places, it's not like any of us are surprised by that. So I would say D simply because where they are right now in the bottom fourth in every category pretty much, and because there hasn't been much development for any of these guys. It's interesting, right? Because, you know, we talk about that vision that they had. And as you said, Matei, it's seven weeks to this point of essentially trying and failing. So the change that, I think I might expect a change I certainly hope for is a break from that. And I know you're trying to establish the identity of your program. You're obviously building towards the future. But there are five winnable games ahead of you where, as we previewed the season two months ago, many thought probably after the NC State game. That was four wins. And right now, you can't look at that schedule and point to any of those games and see a layup. I think the notion that there were layups on this schedule outside of Wofford, you know, was immediately nipped in the butt week one in Norfolk, Virginia. (laughs) Every game is losable. And the way that Duke's been playing, Liberty gets a big win against BYU. Georgia Tech in the absence of uh, Jeff Collins has proven themselves to be capable of pulling up sets and competing in ACC football games. UVA is trash, but anything can happen. <laughs> but, there's, but at the same time, like there's not like a huge talent deficit. Go with an offense, a scheme, a game plan that plays best to the strength of the talent that you have on the roster right now today, even if that talent is far from where you want the roster to be five years from now, there needs to be some sort of perception of momentum. And if the next five games don't go even moderately well, it could be very bad news for Virginia Tech, you know, and his ability to build this program going forward. Yes, uh, certainly an interesting moment here. Uh, what, 10 days off after Miami, nine days off, 10 days, whatever it is, 10 days off after this next game. So you've got one game in 21 days to really figure this thing out. Um, you know, I think we talk, a, you can put a lot of emphasis on the adjustments they'll make for this one game. Um, I think it's I think it's a it's it's like the it's the full picture there of that 21 days. This is like a like a test game of like okay, what did we do in the last 10 days that's going to work? What do we still need to work on over the next 10 days and what what else can we put in before we get to Georgia Tech? Um like this isn't the this is like the the middle of the buy period for Virginia Tech where they have an opportunity to reevaluate the plays they're running, their tendencies you hear people talk about the self scout all the time. Um, I think a, I think a little bit of self scout um, coverage is overrated given the size of analyst staffs these days. You should be self scouting continuously. Um, 
but that that's that, that's the big thing like this is this is going to be our first glimpse of what Virginia Tech has done over the bye week um, in terms of making adjustments reevaluating personnel I certainly think is a big one um, you've had an opportunity to and I think they started doing Sunday night scrimmages with the scout team guys basically a couple weeks ago um, so they'll have had two since the last game heading into this one so that's an opportunity for to ramp some guys up we get another one after this game um you know i i i i think it would be a disservice to not figure out a way to get to make some personnel decisions some scheme decisions some tendency decisions that are different than what's been going on the first seven games um and see what happens in november we certainly georgia tech is I don't know if they're better than they well they're definitely better than they were earlier in the year but um that's still a winnable game duke is definitely not is, is duke winnable at this point i say no i, I think you know looking at this last stretch i think liberty and duke before the season i was circling as easy wins and now they may be the two most you know daunting <laughs> tasks those two teams. So I, I don't know. I think everything's flipped. That, that's another, that, you know, it's an indication of um, coaching, how the coaching staff has done that Mike Elko can go into Duke and immediately. Um, I don't think Duke really upgraded that talent level much in the last, they, you know, they did not. From the, Duke, from the lost, time Mike Elko. Duke lost every player that was worth a damn essentially from they, their they, crap team from last year. They brought in some help from uh on the offensive line, but like it's been it's the same group of guys that you know I we've talked all the time about like this is the same group for Virginia Tech, this is the same group of players that have gone what five and six, six and seven, three out of the last four years. Like, this is a five hundred football team. That was a way below 500 football team at Duke and, and Elko immediately made um, progress there. I don't think that's the, that's maybe a little unfair to expect that across the board everywhere. Um, but, you know, it's, it shows that it's possible to, to, you know, build a team, build a culture, build a, a scheme and a strategy to, to take advantage um, of your personality. You know, I think David Cutcliffe's, quarterback tutelage of Riley Leonard is paying off like he, he gets to enjoy the the tail end of that um but I I I think it's concern it's definitely a concern going in November that it's not a like is Virginia Tech going to be what two and eight three and seven heading into that UVA game with them maybe one win in the last eight or nine games that's a that's a brutal way to look at the at the next four or five weeks yeah i mean it's it's <laughs> everyone every, everyone takes a little second to gather the thoughts yeah. i mean it's it's the reality that we're currently faced with right and you know to be fair elko seems to be the exception to the rule uh, when it comes to first-year coaches, I mean, Mario Cristobal, you know, once again had Miami wildly overrated going into the year. Holy yeah. cow, eight turnovers. Yeah. They thought ODU, ODU was bad with Grant Wells turning it over four times. That got bad. But yeah. it's what happens when you play the Duke Blue Devils. Now, the thing is, Duke's competent, though. Like, yeah. Miami, obviously on a football field that's more raw talent than Duke. Duke needs to do things like turn the ball over or get, you know, force a bunch of turnovers in order to win a football game, but they did. And when they had offensive opportunities, especially in the second half, they capitalized. Miami had the lead with like 10 minutes left in the third, end up losing by what? Two, three, touchdowns. more than two touchdowns. Yeah. Three touchdowns. They got a couple pick sixes thrown in there. 40, but, 45 to 21. Yeah, 45 to 21. So if more, you're Miami, do you have to fire Josh Gaddis after this year? 
if you're Tyler Van Dyke, are you returning to Miami next year? If Josh Gaddis Tyler is Van Dyke's not returning to Miami, he's just going to go to the NFL after a bad year, or he's going to transfer. Go to another college. <laughs> you think Miami isn't going to be looking for another option at quarterback? Or if you're, or if you're, or, or if the way to keep Van Dyke is to bring in another offensive coordinator. Well, that's uh, you know the evaluation of a man who makes a lot more money than us. Whether he's, <laughs> whether he's willing to tell Tyler Van Dyke, yeah, we're not going to go look in the transfer portal for another guy. There's plenty of spots that would take Tyler Van Dyke. I know one of them. It's located deep in the heart of the mountains of West Virginia. Are we talking about future Virginia Tech starting quarterback Tyler Van Dyke? Is which, that not like which, by the one way, of the better possible that, case scenarios? You can after imagine? I said that about Graham Mertz, he's turned it around. So you guys will got to watch out. Yeah, nonetheless. <laughs> but uh, what was the point I was going for here before we got yeah, sidetracked? Uh, the Duke's actually good. Yeah. They had Carolina on the ropes. They blew it. Carolina, I think, uh, is the most potent offense in the ACC far and away. So I got another look. question. Where does Riley Leonard play college football next year? And how, if you're if you're a Duke football fan, how worried are you about him getting poached? What year in school is Riley Leonard? I think he's pretty young, isn't he? I think he's like a sophomore or something. COVID sophomore. COVID sophomore. He's a Where's sophomore. he from? Uh, Alabama. Oh. Auburn, future Auburn quarterback. Yeah, that could very well, that could very well be true. I was going to say the Indianapolis Colts, but, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, because I'm completely sidetracked for whatever we were going for before. I did. That. Regardless, Sorry. first yeah. year head coaches generally not doing so well. Michael for the exception, exception, whatever. Our quarterback, Grant Wells. Doug, we had the conversation a few weeks ago about, I guess it was my point, that I said use the month of October to really evaluate how good I think Grant Wells is because if he's not the future of the program, which at this point I don't think many people are ready to call him the future of the program, the guy that's going to be the starting quarterback for Virginia Tech for the next you know, two, three years following this. We just talked about the potential of Tyler Van Dyke coming here. So I think we're kind of all on the same page there. But right now today, would you support the idea of bringing in Jason Brown? That's the whole question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, cause I said, I did not support the idea of bringing in Jason Brown. You know, no. earlier in the year, I said, right. give Wells a shot. Let's see what he's got. I, I still don't see a reason. I don't I don't see it. Um Wells is your guy, whether it takes him eight games to, to make um substantial that's what you're hoping for. Is the likelihood of it happening in a big way high? Probably not. Is it is it still higher than the likelihood that Jason Brown is your quarterback in twenty twenty three? Yes. And and I think that's you know that's got to be the the way to look at the rest of the season is, you know, I think Jason, I think Grant Wells is probably as serviceable as Jason Brown is. You're not going to get a huge spark. So I'd much rather stick with Grant Wells um, and, and see if, see if the light flashes, if it twinkles a little bit by the end of the season um, to give you some sort of, some some sort of gauge of just how pressing the quarterback issue is heading into the offseason. I think it's pretty clear at this point that it's going to be pretty pressing and Virginia Tech is going to be in the market for a convincing starting quarterback um this offseason, but I you know, I just don't see if 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 that, that Jason Brown makes that much of a difference right now. Um he's he He's the same quarterback, I think. And like, is he gonna is he gonna start throwing open Dwayne Lofton any more than Grant Wells has? Is he gonna like find Nick Gallo or Caleb Smith anymore? Like, I don't think so. Um, I think you're just looking for for Wells to to 
progress in some form um, to make you feel <laughs> maybe some little bit better about the future. I feel bad for Jason Brown because he is, you know, he's your insurance policy. I mean, that's, that's what he is at this point. If he were to be the guy, he would have won the starting job in the off season. Like you bring him in, in the off season, you name him the starter. If he's able to elevate the talent you have and bring you, you know, give you more of a chance to win games give you that seven, eight win ceiling. I don't know, whatever it was in the, in the preseason. But at this point, knowing the talent that is there, like Jason Brown is not going to bring you an extra win. I, I feel bad for him just because it's like at this point, like that ship has sailed. You're going with the guy that's equal. Even if Grant Wells is slightly worse than, than Jason Brown in practice, he has more of an upside in the future. You know, you have him for more years. You can coach him up. Um, you know, this is his first time in your system working with your concepts. You want to invest all of that into the younger guy that you can hopefully build around. I mean, we'll talk for probably every single podcast episode that we drop about how Virginia Tech can go after, you know, some starter somewhere else. Tyler um, Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke. Graham, Graham Mertz. Uh, I think Drew Aller <laughs> from Penn State. Does Adrian try- Martinez have another year next year? He might might have <laughs> another COVID year, but you know I, I'm sure they're monitoring that position. Uh, unfortunately, it just like I feel I just I feel bad for Jason Brown. Like his shot was in the preseason. That's that's all there is to it. I'm looking at is Grant Wells progressing without us realizing it right, right now? Looking at his PFF grades, they have the adjusted completion completion percentage, which is basically, you know, take away the throw, take away the incompletions that are throwaways that um, were drops, which there were six of them against Miami, four of them against Pitt. Like his last three games, he's 76% completion percentage against Carolina, 72.5% against Pitt, 84.4% against Miami. With those six drops, like, say half of those are completed. If Grant if Grant Wells went 24 for 33 for over 200 yards, two touchdowns, no picks against Miami. Probably some progress there. That's like you're feeling like that's the best game he's played all year. We'll see what he can do to build on that out of the bye week. Like it's a little bit different story. So I'm, I'm not saying he's like Virginia Tech shouldn't be considering strongly the transfer portal or anything like that i just wonder if 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 he's playing a little bit better than people are giving him credit for and that's kind of the duality of the conversation though right part one is are we even giving grant wells a fair shot to evaluate him based on how this offense is doing and part two being can we do better in the transfer portal I think the answer can still be no, he doesn't have a fair shot. But yes, going forward, you still need to look to the outside because, you know, the the time limit to look for progress in situations like this is so limited before the powers that be on the outside say, you know, your experience at that university trying to turn it around has been a failure and a wash. I'm not saying anyone's saying that yet with Brett Pry. But by next year, this team's going to at least have to be back in a bowl game, right? Because from the outside looking in right now, and just factually speaking, like eight wins was the ceiling. Eight wins is now statistically impossible. The most they can get is seven. They will not. They will not go five and oh. I'm comfortable saying that. I still believe there's a decent chance that they could go three and two down the stretch. I think that. I'll, I'll ask you guys this. I would say the most likely statistical outcomes, in my opinion, record the remainder of the way. Two and three and three and two. I look. I looked this up for my preview this week. the The nerds are saying that it's three wins or four wins. Sixty six percent chance. Thirty three percent each. 
for three wins. So one or two. So one in what's that? One in three? One in four and two and three. Um oh, three wins or four wins total. I thought you were total. saying over the next five games. Oh like, no, no, wow. no, no, no. What are the nerds watching? <laughs> no. Um yeah, that's what the that's what the analytics are saying. But I agree with I think it's two two max, maybe three. I mean, UVA is definitely still on the table. Um, given where they are as as an offense and program, Georgia Tech, if Jeff Sims is out for any, I haven't seen anything about that. But like that Georgia Tech EVA game last Thursday was um, brutal, was horrific. And it, but I want to say that and knock on wood because Tech is playing this Thursday. It could be quite the the back to back Thursdays for, for Virginia. Um, Virginia college football state of Virginia college football um but those are two games that I think you can win just based off what that game looked like and and if Jeff Sims isn't um isn't isn't available and and then we talked about Duke and Liberty are good they've got good coaches that's I'm not saying Virginia Tech doesn't I'm not saying UVA doesn't I think the jury is still out on that but like Elko from where he did at Wake to Notre Dame to Texas A&M and now at Duke, clearly a really, really, really good football coach that you freeze for whatever you want to talk about. Good football coach and is getting the most out of his program. Um, so I think two and two and two and three counting this week against NC State. I'll say this. I think NC State, I mean, prior to Devin Leary being out for the season, I thought was going to be like a extremely tough game now i think it's just a very tough game drop the extremely um so they're probably number one like that's we'll get into it i won't reveal anything now number two i would probably say duke just based on what they've done this season number three liberty uh four would be georgia tech and then five virginia now if sims isn't playing for georgia tech i'd probably drop them to five but I'm with you, like, Virginia and Georgia Tech is, like, those are the games where it's a race to, what, 20 points? Like, if you can score 20 points, you're probably winning that game. Whereas we've seen Duke drop 45 on Miami. Uh, Liberty has been an absolute wagon, and NC State is still a ranked team with a really good defense. So um, I think two and – I'm comfortable with two and three. I would not be shocked. Uh, with one and four, um, but I think three wins is going to be really tough to get, which is just looking at this slate. I can't believe I'm saying that just like historically looking at this slate, but that's just, you, you used the word earlier, Andrew, that's the reality right now. Like getting two wins is going to be extremely tough. So Andrew talked earlier about the need to get momentum going at the finish. Does two, does two wins get, get the momentum going or does it have to be three before you're like all right that finish went better than expected and has me feeling better i think three does get you to that point for sure right especially and i guess you could say this about two or three it is extremely important they do not lose to uva at home uva is a bad football team Virginia Tech has lost to UVA once in the last, what, 20-some-odd years. And at least in that season, UVA was a decent ball club. (laughs) Like, you know, they were the ACC Coastal Champions. They had beaten other teams. This is a pitiful UVA team against a Virginia Tech team that, at least on paper, expects to be better. Go into the offseason with that lasting taste in your mouth. That is bad news. Remember in uh, 2020 when... Virginia Tech lost four straight, including getting blown out against Pitt and Clemson, and then beat UVA by 18 points, and it felt great. And it, yeah, happy times it were here. Happy again. times, and that's when Whit Babcock decided to keep Justin Fuente um, for the next season, and the rest is history. Um, After going five and six with like a nine-win roster, <laughs> like I think if I think if Tech loses that UVA game, there's no way you can keep Justin Fuente at that point on a five-game losing streak with back-to-back losses to UVA. 
And then alternative yep. history is Tony Elliott is our girl. There you go. Or Shane Beamer. Or Will Healy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to save that one for the end. <laughs> but, uh, or former future Virginia Tech head coach Dave Clawson. Correct. <laughs> Stock still. Who knows? You know. Rich Rodriguez. Let's go <laughs> on. <laughs> Lest we forget that, like, under 365 days ago, there was a moment we all thought Bill O'Brien. Was I was just going to bring that up. I think we did a whole podcast on it. I think we did. <laughs> Tay was like, it's not the hero we want, but it's the hero we'll take. And then like, by the time I released the podcast, it was all completely irrelevant. <laughs> Wasn't that the one where I had to go in and edit like the next five minutes of this podcast will be completely irrelevant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think so. God, but, coaching searches are fun. But yeah. <laughs> Back, back to your question, Doug. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at the month of November, you can go two and two, and you can at least try to market the idea of progress and momentum. If we're assuming a loss to NC State, and we're saying it's four games in November, two and first three and one. Three and one looks like there's momentum. And, you know, despite the fact that Virginia Tech's not going to make a bowl game, five wins is around the range where they've been hanging out for the last few years, it'd be five wins with a roster that is clearly uh, talent-wise, not the rosters that they've been getting five, six wins with in the past. Uh, I, I think you can make an argument that they did something with less. They got better as the season went on. People's lasting memories of the year won't be losing five games in a row, maybe six uh, late September into the month of October. But, I mean, if you go, you lose to UVA at the end, that's all potentially compromised. And from there, I mean, two and two in the month of November, it's all about optics. One and three in the month of November is a disaster. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But a good transitional point right here as the host of this podcast. You mentioned it just before, Matei. I think NC State coming into the year was a game that no one predicted Virginia Tech to win. And it's a game where Virginia Tech is as heavy of an underdog as they've been all season. But in the absence of Devin Leary and seeing what we saw from the Wolfpack against Syracuse when he wasn't playing, and granted, Syracuse is a better football team than Virginia Tech. But an offense that can't score is just the kind of team that Virginia Tech might have a chance against. It's gettable if Virginia Tech's offense plays their best, their absolute A-plus game. Um, NC State is a two-touchdown favorite because of their defense is much stronger, is, is the strongest unit on the, on the field, will be the strongest unit on the field Thursday night. And, and then the home crowd road environment is going to make it difficult for Virginia Tech's offense to do anything. Um, is it the strongest defensive unit that Virginia Tech has seen all season? Rolling through the schedule, yes. Um, maybe Pitt, Pitt's defense hasn't been as strong, but they have kind of the same level of players with Baldonado and Kansi and um Servassier Dennis that's it's it's a similar similar group um 
their linebacker unit is strong. The defensive line is strong. I think I think their three three five defense brings poses a lot of issues for Virginia Tech's defense. I mean Virginia Tech's offense in terms of how unless substantial progress has been made over the bye week, Virginia like that's a that's a difficult um set up for Virginia Tech to handle as far as consistently moving the ball against them. Um, I think Tech could win this game. If, they, if they're if winning, it's going to be like 16 to 13. 14 to 10. Something really ugly, really low scoring like that where Tech's defense wins in the game. Where Tech's defense is equal to NC State's defense because NC State's offense is, is like a to me, it's a spitting image of Virginia Tech's offense, especially now with um, Leary out, although they weren't any good with Leary in. Um, last that last year, they were really good. Leary threw 35 touchdowns. Um, really good wide receiver. Mezzi, I think was his name. Two really good running backs. Zonovan Knight and uh, Ricky Person, I think was his name. Lost those guys. And then the left tackle that plays for the Panthers now. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but they lost a lot of talent, and like Leary w- was not single-handedly capable of replacing it, and um, now they don't even have Leary. So it's a very similar position to Virginia Tech's offense um, in that they're not good at moving the ball down the field consistently, and they're not good, and the, and they don't have big play potential. So it becomes very difficult for them to score that that 28 points that we've talked about all year you know they've only gotten there once they got the um i think they got the 30. once against good opponents you know they played uconn and charleston southern so we can throw this out but um it's just it's a gettable game if if tex offense surprises but i don't but it's an uphill battle for them to surprise against this defense so, you know, we talk about the need to feed the ball to Thomas and feed the ball to Kashawn King. You know, defensively, NC State pretty stout up front. Are they going to have to pump the brakes on that game plan for at least one more week? Is this the situation where, you know, you think they spent the better part of the last 10 days game planning, whatever strengths Virginia Tech's offense may have or comparative strengths? to, you know, the way that NC State's defense stacks up? Like, how would you approach them? Uh, I think they need to – I think they absolutely have to run the ball and absolutely have to use King and Thomas as – they have to be the guys getting the most touches on the team. Um, they have to, get like, put them both on the field, put them one, one on the field at a time and get them the ball. Um Tech's offense is not going to be able to move to throw the ball down the field to they're not going to have two or three guys running open down the field. They're going to be able to hit a big play, running a deep pass, off play action to one guy, Caleb Smith probably running down the field and making a big play. Um, the only way to make that effective, especially against a team that's going to run out five defensive backs and a three three five scheme and probably clog up the passing lanes and sit back and dare Grant Wells to beat them. The only way to do that is if you're having success running the ball. So they've got they've got to just hammer Thomas and King, even if it's not even working that well, knowing and and hope that your defense is good enough to keep you within striking distance like we were talking about 16 to 13 or something like that. Like I don't like Tech's not going to win this game throwing the ball to Steve Gosnell and, and Nick Gallo over and over again like they're going to win this game by running the ball and playing really good defense and then hitting a big player too if they can generate a turnover or two against um jack chambers is probably going to be nc state's quarterback i think they might also turn to their true freshman um i think his name is mj morris who's a fort he's the future he, he's going to be the, he's the heir apparent there so it's kind of like I said. It's a spitting image of Virginia Tech. Like that, I don't know what value NC State is getting out of Jack Chambers that they wouldn't get out of MJ Morris at this point. But you know, coaches are always going to side with the fifth-year senior, experienced quarterback who gives them the best chance to win. Yada yada yada. Um, but for Virginia Tech, I think it's 
still like the only way they can put up 20 plus points is if they hit big plays the only way you're going to hit big plays is if you have some kind of balance and some kind of running game to open that up um so i think that's like king and thomas on the field at the same time one at a time they've got to they've got to have heavy 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 usage um for virginia tech to to get to that 24 28 point range that even nc state has struggled to get get to this year yeah and <clears throat> excuse me and i i hate the fact that it's like grant wells against this defensive back group like i i feel like they've i don't have the stats in front of me but they've seemed you know pretty good at picking off other teams they're number three in the country so exactly. you're right on the money there <laughs> yeah. they've so got like, 11 picks this is not a Pretty game good. where i want to see like grant wells airing it out like this is not the game if ed you like we've been talking how grant wells is like this game manager or whatever when in reality we want to see him as the guy with the big arm the gunslinger that's throwing a caleb smith downfield all the time like this is not the game to test that out and i'm 100 percent with doug like i think you got to try the two back formation, like mix it up a little bit. Um, it's, it hasn't been on film, uh, whether it's like a swing pass to Keyshawn King or uh, Malachi Thomas. Like, I think you have to win in down the middle. Like this defense is too athletic. They're going to get to the outside um, and they cover a lot of ground. Um, you're going to have to, you know, the offensive line is going <laughs> to have to have the best game of the season uh, in order to, you know, just march down the field. And it's not like, like, I agree, there's going to, the team that makes more big plays is going to win this game uh, with both offenses, seemingly with Jack Chambers, NC State not being that great, uh, even with Evan Leary. But this is also a game where you, it could be decided by field goals. Like, it, it's about sustaining those drives, not getting those three and outs or, um, going six plays like they did against Miami and punting the ball away. Um, if they're able to, you know, do enough, get four yards with Malachi Thomas down the middle on a consistent basis, get Grant Wells a couple yards on a quarterback designed run. If you can move the chains, get field goals, like put some pressure onto NC State's offense, like you're in a good position. I'm not saying you're going to win the game, but I, I'm 100% with Doug. Like, I think this is going to be both teams scoring under 20 points. Um, but you're going to have to win at the line of scrimmage, and I think you're going to have to attack, like, inside runs. Like, they're they're going to be critical. And we've seen so far, like, Virginia Tech's been stuffed so many times, uh, you know, when needing – I forget what the stat was. I think it was, like, when four yards are available, Virginia Tech is, like, one of the worst teams in getting those four yards – and I believe NC State's one of the best in the country. So, like, it's an uphill battle, no doubt, but you're going to have to win in that area to be able to be competitive in this game. Yeah, the thing with NC State's linebackers, like, we, when you, they have three really good linebackers, Wilson, Isaiah Moore is the kid from Richmond, and then um, Drake Thomas. Like, they don't make mistakes. Like, they, they are in their gaps. They are shedding blocks, like – NC State's a good defense running a 3-3-5 defense, which is not what you think of as like this, you know, run-stopping machine when you put that kind of alignment on the field. But it but it works because they're really good. So um, it's like Matei said, it's going to be a tough challenge to run the ball, but they absolutely have to. The other thing I, I think um, Matei touched on was the value of a big play in this game is going to – is like through the roof. It, it, Whoever can generate a 20 or 30 yard play in this game is is like it's probably even more valuable than it's like any regular game because they both are just like like uh, I think Tech is they're tied for 119th in plays of 20 plus yards both of them <laughs> 23 um, this season for both of them NC State has only six plays of 30 yards or more which is second to last in the entire country. Only UMass has been worse. Like a big play in this game, it's huge. Getting 40 yards, setting up a setting up a scoring opportunity one play, huge. And if you can get into the end zone with a big pass, with a big run, like that's that's going to be um, – that, that, that could like be decisive if you get one of those in terms of like 
the defenses are probably strong enough to otherwise force the offense to try and go eight, nine, ten plays down the field, which probably isn't going to happen. So if you can generate that quick touchdown and that big play, it's a huge swing in this game. It's an interesting dichotomy, right? Because the importance of the big play in a game that could very well come down, who makes the least mistakes? Because in a game like this with offenses like this, you know, a turnover on your own side of the field, you know, in your own territory could be all the other team needs. (laughs) Because I, I don't think anyone, and it's like we've been watching with Virginia Tech all year, and we can say the same now applies to NC State. It's like, what level of confidence do you have in them to get the ball on their own 20-yard line and march down the field? It, it almost feels like... Sustained scoring drives. They, they seem impossible at this point. This, this game almost feels like the Tech-Boston College game reversed, where, Boston, where Tech is playing the role of Boston College, going, into, going on the road, in that case, it was going into Lane Stadium at night. Tech's going on the road at NC State, and and like you said, Andrew, like like if if Tech turns the ball over deep in their own territory and sets up an easy score, like Boston College did throwing the pick to Armani Chapman early, that's a huge swing, and that's a huge boost to the home team, NC State. And then like Kashawn King rips off one huge run. And there's 14 points, and Tech wins the game by 17. Um, you know that's that's what we're talking about here, where like that those mistakes and those big plays, one mistake, one big play, 14 point swing, NC State covers. That's 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 how how important it is for Virginia Tech to play that clean, crisp game. That you know, let's be honest, they just haven't been able to do um, to date this year. So. You know, with all that being said, and that entire analysis right there, sounds like if you listen to all of our game previews over the course of at least the month of October, that would probably sound like the preview where we're giving Virginia Tech the greatest chance to win. With all that being said, score predictions. Uh, I don't think NC State has the offense to blow Virginia Tech out. And I think... I think Virginia Tech's going to, coming out of the bye, they should play a cleaner, crisper game with some some better moments. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a closer game for most of the way. Um, but I do think the home crowd and all that makes it very difficult for Virginia Tech. I think it's going to be like 23 to 13 or something like that, 23 to 10. Do you want me to firm up one score? Pick it. I think that's what you want me to do. Go for Is it. Is that how this typically – I think it's going to be or 24 to 10. Article, which NC won't come State. out for years because I'll never submit a score. <laughs> <laughs> 24 so to 10 NC guys. State. But I could see it being like a one-score game until late in the fourth quarter, and then and then the backdoor cover happens. Um, but like this doesn't feel like a game that is going to be a blowout based on what we know about NC State's offense and both defenses. Do we know if – I'm going to butcher this name if you can save me, Doug. Sumo Car- Don't even ask. Car- is Do we know if he's healthy or not? He missed last week or their last game and then got the bye week. I would think so. I think so, he's – I haven't seen whether he's going to go or not. So, like, NC State's – obviously, their offense in general doesn't look that great. But of their running game – like we all remember Jordan Houston one time he looked like he was coming to Virginia Tech. I know a lot of people that probably listen to inside the tunnel follow recruiting very closely. He looks to be the number one. He hasn't been super impressive, doesn't have a touchdown on the year. Uh, and then their backup sumo, whatever it was, um, looks the more promising. Um, I think that's probably a big swing if he is able to play. I'll say this though, caveat. I think the bye week is more beneficial to NC State, given the fact that Chambers is going to be worked in a bit more, have more comfort. They're probably going to change some things because he's more of a dual threat guy. Um, whereas with Virginia Tech, like 
you're working with the same guys. You have the same structure. You may not have the identity. I think maybe you're able to work in a little more two back. Maybe that's what Brent Pry was alluding to that they'll finally start doing. And hopefully, hopefully we're talking about big plays like golden opportunity for a gadget play with Connor Blumrick, you know, potentially to, you know, had to throw work a pass or <laughs> I had to work it in. I mean, uh, we haven't said his name or sung his praises in a very long time, but um, ultimately I think this is going to be like a 17 to 10 type of game for NC state. Um, I think whoever gets to 20 is going to win this game, but even so I have a bit more confidence just based on the fact that even as bad as we're making this NC state offense seem like, I still think Virginia tech's offense is worse and the best unit on the field is uh, is NC State's defense that has been able to generate turnovers, able to put opposing offenses in bad situations and kind of dictate the field position. So I think they have an easier road, even if their offense isn't that great, to get points. Um, and so I'm going with NC State. Yeah, one thing that I think that we may be – overlooking in all of this is, you know, we give Virginia Tech the bye week and the opportunity to make adjustments, despite the fact that even given a clear need to make adjustments all year, they haven't. NC State is now in uncharted waters. They don't have Devin Leary anymore, but they've had, you know, same period of time as Virginia Tech, 10 days to restructure their offense around whatever quarterback they choose to throw out there, whether that be Chambers, whether that be Morris, you know, the conservative option, the higher upside option, whatever they choose to do. Uh, so I think that the thought that NC State's going to come out there, I mean, the exact same offense stalled out as they were against Syracuse is probably a little naive. It'd also be probably be a little bit naive to think that they're going to improve rapidly. But at the end of the day, I mean, the pieces are there for Virginia Tech for the upset. Take care of the football, get a couple big plays, and really bring together those small silver linings you know, offensively that we saw uh, against Pittsburgh at times, uh, that we saw in the fourth quarter against Miami. The problem is every little piece of progress that we've seen has really just not translated to the next week. It's not just that it's not being done consistently. It's like it's not being done ever again. <laughs> if you can capture a bit of decent O-line play, run the football, Grant Wells gets going, he doesn't make any mistakes. I, I, I see the route there, but again, I'm, I'm not going to bet on it. So I had 21-13. think Tech covers, thinks 13.5 is a lot, given the state of NC State offensively, but uh, at the same time, tough road environment, no real reason to be that confident in Tech. I, I think the Wolfpack take this one. Yeah, I was just thinking like, you, you were talking about week-to-week -week progress or week-to-week -week consistency. Like, I, I think I want to see, like, them just go for it with, like, like, Daquan Wright in particular. Like, you look at what Monsor Delane has done, where impressive, impressive, impressive. Then they played him 60-plus snaps against Miami. Wright has been every bit as impressive as Delane on the offensive side of the ball, but he's still only gotten... 21, 15, 23 snaps. Like, I um, kind of want him to shove the chips all in on, on Wright's role, King Thomas, like we've been talking about. Like, I don't see any reason not to, um, unless you're going to decide now that this is his last game of the year and you're going to keep a red shirt on him. But I don't see that being a good solution either. So, a couple of things to keep an eye on. Also, good... also just that, you know, coming out of the press conference, calling the offense vanilla, like, if there's ever a game. Is Tyler Bowen going to go all the way to the other, side, I, other I, end? <laughs> I mean, at this point, not just Daquan Wright, but throw everything. You know, there's nothing to hide at this point. I mean, you can't really I, – I get it, like – you. You don't want to make too many mistakes. You don't want to try too many different things to make things too complicated and not really have a game plan outside these gadgets or, um, you know, new things that you're practicing over the bye week. But 
at this point, whatever, you know, the secret folder of plays are, like, implement them. At this point, if you want to win the fan base back over, there's few opportunities left. And, you know, even if Virginia Tech gets two wins for the remainder of the year, like, saying you were able to go on the road and beat a ranked NC State team, maybe not provide all the context, and then, you know, maybe you take one over Virginia and win you know, the cup again. But like at this point, there's nothing like Virginia Tech's probably not making a bowl game. And looking at like the rest of the games, I would I would venture to say that NC State and Virginia like are your two biggest games that if you get those wins, like you're getting some credibility back. So I would just empty the tank right now and just throw it all out there. Nothing to lose. Thursday night, national television, ranked opponent across from you. An opportunity for that signature win on the season, a win that, like you said, Mate, people will look back to and say that was a moment that gave them hope. There has been no hope all season to this point. Not a, maybe a little bit after Boston College, but the hope went with the tide in Norfolk, Virginia, week one and has not fully recovered the opportunity to create that sense of momentum and jumpstart a month of November where, you know, you, the narrative on the season can really go a number of ways. The book is not completely written on this team. Options range between resilient, strong finishing young group under a first year head coach that never quit and like complete unmitigated disaster. So we'll figure out what direction it's going uh, pretty soon. Also, but, uh, quick quick fun fact, Dan Mullen, former future Virginia Tech head coach Dan Mullen, will be made, I don't know if it's his broadcasting debut or his um, color commenting debut. I think it's his first game. Lewis Gray yeah. normally does it. So. Yeah, he's, he's calling the game on Thursday, which will be interesting. Um, to see kind of what he makes of Virginia Tech's offense. So, Future Virginia Tech offensive coordinator, Dan Mullen? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Probably not. But, yeah, we'll be yeah, interested. All right, boys, any last words? I got to roll. Silence. All right, VT Scoop, 247 Sports, <laughs> my friends. VIP subscriptions are what you should purchase. So Matei can keep eating. We'll be back. Probably record on like Sunday or Monday of next week, something like that. Give us the opportunity to get something out there. We'll be in Vegas next week, so we're going to have to get it out of the way early. But uh, as always, my friends, enjoy the games. Thursday night, great excuse to drink for Friday. Thursday night, Virginia Tech football. Enjoy it. And as always, go Hokies. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.